And now it's time for Dave's Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle Tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. But he understands its place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. So come along and take a listen to Dave's thoughts about the Walt Disney World Resorts and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, on today's podcast, I thought I would uh, do a dose of Disney news. We haven't uh, talked about Disney news in a, at least a little while now, and there's a lot happening, especially around the Walt Disney World Resort, so I thought I'd uh, take that on. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, I have the best-kept Disney World and Universal Studios vacation secret. Did you know that anyone can rent a sweet ride and truly get around fast with your pass inside the theme parks? Mom, tell them. Well, Scooter Vacations makes it fun all day long. You or someone you love deserves the best way to see everything. So why not relax and enjoy a true express ride with your pass? Scooter Vacations can arrange it and even deliver it to you. Get around the fun way? Have as much fun getting from ride to ride as being on the ride? They fit on buses, boats, and monorails, and some can fit in a car trunk. Upgrade your experience and scoot everywhere. Contact Scooter Vacations at 1-855-WDW-SCOOT, that's 1-855-WDW-SCOOT, or on the web at scootorlando.com, that's S-C-O-O-T-Orlando.com, S-C-O-O-T-Orlando.com. All right, so we start off our news today with kind of an intriguing little thing that's in the legal sector. It's, it's about this performance artist whose name is Dead Mouse, and it's D-E-A-D-M-A-U-5, but it's pronounced Dead Mouse. So Joel Zimmerman is this performance artist who uh, does some techno music and things like that, and he has a, uh, a number of things that he does. He's from Canada, and he's, he's been out there for a while. He went out and he trademarked a logo for himself that's a mouse that's supposed to be dead. And if you look at the picture of the mouse... It has some resemblance to Mickey Mouse, um, maybe a little bit anyway. Actually, in my own opinion, I think it's closer in appearance to Stitch than it is to Mickey Mouse, but nevertheless, because he's dead mouse, it's a sort of a mouse symbol. Now, in 2012, uh, Zimmerman acknowledged a possible similarity between his uh, mouse head logo and that of Mickey Mouse, and uh, joked that someone at the Disney patent office fell asleep on that one. And then come around to March 2014, the Walt Disney Company filed a patent request with the United States Patent and Trademark Office to investigate Zimmerman's application to register the mouse head emblem as a trademark, noting its semblance to the figure of Mickey Mouse. Disney officially filed its opposition in September 2014, arguing that the mark is likely to cause confusion because it near, it's nearly identical in appearance, connotation, and overall commercial impression to Disney's trademark iconography of Mickey Mouse. In response to the opposition, Zimmerman attacked Disney on Twitter, arguing that the company thinks of people as being stupid because they might confuse an established electronic musician performer with a cartoon mouse. Zimmerman also believed that the, he had been targeted by Disney due to their attempt to cash in on the EDM market, specifically alluding to a, a thing called Deconstructed, a recently released compilation uh, containing remixes of songs from Disney properties by major electronic musicians. 
On September 4, 2014, Zimmerman revealed on Twitter that Disney had alleged, uh, allegedly and ironically used Ghosts and Stuff in a Mickey Mouse remix video on their website and on YouTube without his or his label's permission and posted pictures showing a takedown notice that had been sent to Disney by his lawyers. The letter also contained a trademark infringement accusation arguing that the use of Dead Mouse's name and the materials regarding the video falsely implied his endorsement of it. Disney argued that it had properly licensed the song and there was no merit to his statement. So I find it kind of interesting that, you know, here comes this guy and he has a logo and he's, you know, he's got something and he's, he's using it and he's been using it for several years and everything was cool as far as that goes. And then suddenly Disney decided that they had to look into it because he was making money off of it. Now, as I said, I don't think it looks that much like Mickey. And if you can trademark something that looks like that, I'll put a picture of it on my show notes page so you can see it. If you um, take something like that and you say it looks that much like Mickey Mouse that it might confuse people. Wow. You know, that's kind of funny. Like I said, I think personally it looks a little more like Stitch, but what do I know? So I just find these things kind of intriguing because Disney finds itself at the center of these things sometimes. Sometimes they're with merit, sometimes they're not. But it's always interesting to me uh, how these things work. You may recall that a couple of years ago I had on a guy who uh, had created the Weight Watchers app, and it was the um, WAIT Watchers, so you could uh, check the wait times at various attractions around the Walt Disney World parks. And the Weight Watchers company, the Weight Loss Clinic, um, W-E-I-G-H-T, had sued him uh, and sent him a cease and desist letter because they said it was it might confuse people about what the app is all about. And he didn't have the legal resources to go uh, and defend himself, so he just uh, stopped uh, producing the app. And I get that. It's just funny how these things kind of happen. Um, you know, a company you know extends its its arm and says, "Hey, you know, we're we're the company, and this is our stuff, and uh, we're you know we can make the copyright off of this." What I find interesting about the Dead Mouse case is specifically that uh, Disney was using Dead Mouse's music and then tried to get him to stop uh, producing things that look like their image. So I find that kind of funny. There's something very odd about that to me. Anyway, that's uh, that's one little story that caught my attention this week. Another one. Um, is another lawsuit actually that's uh, that's going on, um, and it's the uh, guest assistance uh, card problem, and the fact that um, that Disney changed from the guest assistance card that they used to have. Be- and if you may recall, the reason they changed the guest assistance card for the most part was the fact that there was a number of uh, groups that were taking uh, groups of guests on a special tour of the park. It was sort of you know this this front of the line uh, tour is what they were marketing it as. And they'd send one disabled person with them, and then they would have uh, a number of people that were on the tour as their quote-unquote family going with them, and then they could always get to the front of the line, and they never had to wait in line. And those people were wrong, no question. But I think Disney might have overreacted a little bit and overreached by changing it from changing it from the guest assistance card to the disability access service. It's still strange to me that Disney calls something disability because they don't tend to do that. They tend to be very friendly toward those types of things where they don't call out somebody's disability. And here they're saying it's a disability assistance card, which is very strange for Disney to be doing that. Anyway, there's a story in the Orlando Sentinel that came out a couple of weeks ago, um, and it reads, Plaintiffs in a lawsuit against Walt Disney Parks and Resorts want to expand their legal dispute against the entertainment giant over the way it treats guests with autism. According to a report filed late Wednesday night at Deadline.com, the discrimination lawsuit against the Walt Disney Parks and Resorts could almost triple if plaintiffs get their way. 
The attorneys in the case want to amend their original lawsuit to add 69 more plaintiffs to the more than two dozen who already are part of the suit against Disney, according to the Deadline.com report. The suit was filed in April as of this year and accused Disney of violating the Americans with Disabilities Acts and the way they handle guests with disabilities that fall within the spectrum of autism disorders. Late last year, Disney changed the way it accommodated its guests with disabilities after reports of some wealthy Walt Disney World guests hiring people with disabilities to pretend to be family members in order to get the entire group to skip the line uh, for attractions. Disney responded by eliminating its guest assistance card and creating what is now known as the Disability Access Service at Disneyland and here in Orlando in Walt Disney World. The Disability Access Service program gives guests with disabilities a return time for attractions based on the attraction's current wait times. After enjoying one attraction, guests move on to another one. The system is used in addition to Disney's FastPass and FastPass Plus options, according to the plan's website. The new program, though, does not automatically send guests with disabilities to the front of the line for attractions like the former system once did. This change, the lawsuit's plaintiffs argue, has resulted in individuals with autism often being forced to stand in line much longer than than, uh, is possible given the cognitive conditions. The plaintiffs cite meltdown behaviors that now force children to leave the park because of the new disability accommodation system in place uh, in both uh, Florida and California. Plaintiffs say the current system violates both the ADA and the uh, Unruh Civil Rights Act, a California law that outlaws discrimination for a host of issues, including disabilities and medical conditions. According to the amendment order submitted Wednesday in the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California, the alleged discrimination against individuals with autism has taken place at both Disneyland and Walt Disney World, and the plaintiffs want to expand the suit to include an additional 36 plaintiffs to the R and 33 plaintiffs who are family members. Both sides in the suit will go before a judge in October to make their case regarding the um, the amendment of the suit to add plaintiffs. So again, Disney has changed something, and not necessarily for the better, and it's, they have to defend themselves against it. And this is not about guests with disabilities per se, you know, not physical disabilities anyway. This is with uh, guests that have uh, autism. And the problem here is, or the issue here is, that as the, as the article mentions, that uh, a lot of people can't stand in line if they have autism. It's, it's just too confining and there's too many things and, you know, sometimes the noises or the, the sights uh, will distract them and they, they have trouble with that. So the issue at hand is, you know, the fact that they can't just move to the front of the line and go on the, on the attraction. So it will be interesting to see how Disney amends their, uh, and changes their policies again to kind of accommodate this. Now, they may make it through the lawsuit, and Disney may not have to change it as a result of the lawsuit, but I certainly hope that Disney does amend it in some way to make it easier for kids with autism to be able to enjoy the park. That's all I'm saying. Turning to Disney Springs for a few minutes, uh, Disney Springs continues its evolution and it's continuing to be built. Uh, there's a lot of things happening out there, a lot of construction going on. There's some interesting photos that I've seen of one with a train track going on a turntable that kind of surprised me. I don't know what that is. But there was an announcement by Disney that finally they have a backstory to go along with what Disney Springs is. So I'd like to present to you some audio of what it is because they've never said this before. There's, um, there's still a couple of questions I have about it, but as it continues to evolve, we'll see what it looks like. Why Disney Springs? It's a, it's a great question. The historic timeline that we created really is the genesis of our story. And as you know, everything at Disney starts with the story. When you start to think about why we even approached uh, reimagination of downtown Disney, you start to think about three different districts at downtown Disney, and they really don't connect to each other as a storyline. Disney Springs was not only about bringing diversity of retail, destination dining, and elaborating on fantastic entertainment, but it was really about bringing story to this venue. It's been around for three decades. 
So we started that by creating a historic timeline. We started to say, well, when did these certain events happen? And once we had that kind of backbone, we could really build everything on that. Architecture, music, costuming, you know, landscaping, everything could, could then apply to the historic timeline that we built. So our story starts very much like waterfront towns all over Florida. There was a little green field, there was a natural spring that was found, and then these settlers in the mid-1800s started building cabins, just what you would find throughout the history of Florida. And over time, that little settlement grew into a full-size town, and that's how Disney Springs was born. And it's as much a story about the history of Florida as it is um, a Disney story. Attention to detail is huge. It is what we know our guests love. From an Imagineering perspective, it is what tells the story. And Disney Springs really leverages that story and says, what if there were a beautiful natural springs that a whole town was built on? And then over time, that town was converted into uh, a retail dining and entertainment venue that, that's something that the world hasn't seen before. Something really fun that we're doing over the coming months are interviews like this, you know, little videos, and you'll be able to meet my fellow Imagineers. We're going to take you on site. We're going to show you uh, the project as it progresses. There's some pretty unique things that we're doing here, so we're hoping to give you a little sneak peek into uh, some of the aspects of what we're building, how we do it, how we're going to deliver it, and uh, kind of give you a behind-the-scenes look at, at our process of building Disney Springs. There's currently a lot of changes that are happening at Epcot. I find this really interesting because Disney has decided they're going to get rid of some of the live acts that are performing around World Showcase. Now, the two that stand out as being the ones that really catch most people's attentions are Morrockin because they've been there and they've had like a belly dancer out there uh, dancing with them for a long period of time. But the one that really catches people's attention is Off Kilter over by Canada. This is the one that people love. This has been a great show that's been going on for many years now. And uh, Disney has decided that they're just going to cancel the act and uh, do something else. And I'm kind of on the fence about this. It's been a long-standing tradition. They've been there for a long time. They've had a contract for a long time. They've been performing essentially the same corny jokes and shows for, you know, a number of years. What is it, like 15 years now or something like that? And it's been mostly the same performers there. But now Disney has decided that they're going to move on and do another uh, act there of some kind and around the entire World Showcase. They're kind of revamping the entire lineup at World Showcase. And I find this to be just a, the, the reason that I find this to be a little bit strange is that Disney is continuing to evolve its thinking to more high end and uh, you know, things that can make a little bit of money. Off Kilter is there and they're performing and people come and they sit and they watch it, but they're not spending money, right? And they don't have to pay to go and see it. And you're seeing more and more paywalls go up where there's extra additional things where Disney is making a little bit money, a little bit of extra money, to whatever that particular thing is. So, for example, you're seeing more and more things happening, like uh, special seating, like uh, special parties, like the villains thing they have going on at the park after hours. Um, you know, it just continues to evolve, and they do more and more things, and the threshold keeps moving up. I did catch that there was one kind of interesting thing that they did. So you, you can buy a ticket for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party... And then they had this idea for a villain's dessert party up in Cinderella's castle, followed by a special place to watch the uh, fireworks afterward. And that's an additional cost. So you would have spent your money to go to the parks during the day. You would be able to go in and see Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party at, you know, 7 o'clock and stay for that. And then you would have paid additional money again to stay for the, uh, to see the villain's dessert party. Something about that, you know, where's the limit? You know, how far does it go? And the price points are such that it gets harder and harder for the average person to be able to buy tickets for that. In addition to, 
buying tickets for the park and staying in the hotels and everything else. So it's interesting to me how this continues to evolve, and I'm wondering if over at Epcot, with these changes, if they're putting up more things where they can have uh, more, uh, more pay experiences for people. I did notice that Moroccan used to play where the Spice Road table now is, and they moved them over a little bit, and it crowded the area just a little bit more because of the way they kind of closed, pushed them over to the side. And I'm wondering if that was the reason that they're gone, and I'm wondering if that space for off-kilter, if they want to use that for something else where they can have another shop or something where they could potentially make a little bit of money. I don't know, but I'm just kind of curious how that all works out. It's just another thing that caught my attention. Oh, and speaking of Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, I couldn't help but notice it started on September 1st of this year. I just, you know, I happened to look one day and I was like, oh, I went to Mickey's not so the first day of Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. I'm like, wait, what? How did that happen on September 1st? Isn't that like a full 60 days out from Halloween? Now, on a positive note... The Night of Joy that they have uh, during the holiday season, where they have uh, speakers come in and they do some religious readings and some gospel singing and things like that, that's an additional ticketed event that you can go and see. And they are going to be streaming it live online this year, which I think is really kind of cool. It's a nice way to kind of give back a little bit. It's kind of the antithesis of everything else I've been talking about, where you're actually doing something that's positive and letting people go and watch it and enjoy it and you know experience it without having to go into the parks. And I think that's a pretty good thing, and I'm actually happy to hear that. Over in the Magic Kingdom, Disney's uh, Move It, Shake It, Celebrate It street party is going to undergo some changes over the next couple of months. So expect to see that that show will be different the next time that you go and see it. Disney continues to market the unexpected success of Frozen. I'm, I'm still amazed at how well this, this movie is done. I mean, it was, a, it was a really good movie, and if you haven't seen it, you really should. It's, it's worth seeing. A couple of surprises and twists, and it's not the expected princess movie. Some things happen that really are powerful in this film. And it really, is a, it really is very well done in that sense. But Disney, I don't think, ever expected this kind of success. They didn't have the merchandise. They weren't ready for the fact that it was going to be out there and uh, people were going to have that sort of uh, love of it. They expected it to do okay, but uh, never expected that it was going to be a multi-billion dollar industry in terms of the movie, the toys, and the uh, music that people uh, could purchase. And then in addition... They've uh, added so many different experiences at uh, Disneyland and Walt Disney World where they continue to have different uh, meet and greets with the characters, uh, different merchandise that you can have. They appear in several of the parades and shows. And now, over at uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, they're having a sing-along with Anna and Elsa. And it's actually in the uh, American Idol Experience Theater. It's for the short term anyway. It might move somewhere else later. But in that theater for the short term, they're having a sing-along. So you can go in and you get a fast pass to go in there because there is only a limited amount of seating. Everybody wants to see them. But you can go in and you can sing along to the, to the show. And they tell stories and they tell the story of uh, Anna and Elsa and the whole Frozen story. And then they, they have a sing-along. And it should be a lot of fun. I've heard people say that it's a really good time. I haven't been able to see it myself, but I really want to. Well, now, before I let you go, I want to remind you that I do have an app out there for the Food and Wine Festival that's coming up starting uh, in a couple of weeks here. And uh, you can take a copy of this app. It's totally free. If you have an iPhone or iPad, you can put it on your, uh, on your device and take it with you. If you don't, I also have a mobile version that's available. So if you just head over to DisneyPodcast.net slash food and wine, all one word, you have a link there to the iTunes app or to the mobile version that allows you to see the food. The whole idea here is that this is supposed to be social. It's an opportunity for you to be able to look at food and decide which way you want to go and what foods other people like. When you go there, you can give it a thumbs up or thumbs down, and you can write a review or give it on a, a rating on a five-star scale. Whatever you like, whatever method works for you. And I want to make this social and get people to talk about the food. That's the whole point. So I made it free. 
I hope you enjoy it. I hope you check it out. Uh, you know, both the mobile version and the, uh, the app are free. You know, I do have a link in there. If you want to make a donation, you're more than welcome to, but I'm not soliciting for it per se. I'm just saying it's there if you're interested, but, um, this is a kind of a cool thing that I put out there, you know, cause I want people to enjoy the food and wine festival and really take it on. So please do check out the app. Well, that is my show for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Now, please exit the moving podcast. The walkway is moving at the same speed as your podcast. Kindly take small children by the hand and watch your head and step. If you have questions, thoughts, or would just like to ask Dave a question, please send an email to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. You can always find Dave's Disney View on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Show notes for this podcast can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound A Music. You'll find a link to the latest Disney-related autism awareness event on the show notes page. We also encourage you to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There are a couple of Disney-related apps, including a Hidden Mickey's app and a pin trading app. 